You're listening to Potter Nonsense, a podcast with Fee and Ray. Welcome to Potter Nonsense. I'm Fee. And I'm Ray. And today we're going to be following along from our last episode and talking about female entities in the Harry Potter universe. So last podcast episode we covered uh, the relationships or lack thereof. The girls aren't friends. They're not. Unfortunately, they're not. Yeah, no, the girls <laughs> the girls aren't friends. Mm. They're not friends and they should be. They should be. Um, um, the female friendship is extremely valuable and we deserve it. <laughs> Yeah, it it is. It's and I also it also baffles me because uh, witches, female witches, are meant to have a coven. Yes, and I don't know how you're supposed to have a coven mm. without female friends. No, that's not to say that you know men can't be in a coven, but traditionally, yes, a coven was made up of witch sisters. Mm. So it doesn't make sense for a group of witches in a school to not be friends yes well that's not our subject for today um I think I think that the general topic today is more of the fact that like there's just not a lot of depth there for a lot of the female characters yeah like we have our smart one we have our pretty one in lavender brown we have our tomboy Mm. they just seem to pigeonhole into archetypes yes so um just a thought that I had to begin with was just the fact that um, we don't have any female characters who are adults and not mothers who we are meant to like. Mm. And I know that people are about to say McGonagall, but like McGonagall is the most full-time parent that we see. Yeah. She is. She's. Uh, she looks after the kids. She makes sure that they're not getting into trouble. When they do get into trouble, she provides discipline. She's a teacher, but she is also the uh, mother figure of that yes, school. Yes, she is the primary female adult influence that we get to see at the school. Yeah, so she, yeah, you can say McGonagall is, you know, tough, badass, blah, 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 but she she's mostly your mother figure. Mm. She is definitely a nurturing presence in, in as much as she is also a disciplinarian. Yes. Yeah. So um, the archetype that I have given her is maiden teacher <laughs> because mm-hmm. I, know, I know that there's some kind of um, Pottermore edition about her having a husband and the husband dying and all of this stuff, but, like, that's not anything that we get a sign of in the books or in the movies. So effectively she is like the spinster. (laughs) Yes, she is. She's absolutely the spinster. And she, just because Pottermore says that, oh, McGonagall had this, this, and this, it's not what we read in the books. And our main sort of topic to do with the female characters is what happens in the Mm, books. What do we see? Yeah, so, I mean, don't get me wrong, it is nice that she's added to their characters outside of the books, which is cool, Um, but actually written content that you read in the book, this is what we're discussing. In case anyone wants to turn around and go, well, Pottermore says 
it's okay. We know what Pottermore says. We we definitely know what Pottermore says, but that's not what we're talking about. Yeah, we very rarely consider Pottermore to be canon here. <laughs> mm, yeah, let let's. There's a bunch of different reasons why. Mm. Um, if you have not listened to all of our episodes, if you're one of those people who listens backwards, we do go into that a bit in our first episode. Yes. Um, so shall we talk about Molly? Perfect mother Molly. <laughs> Look, I have a soft spot for Molly because she's just everything that you want your mum to yes. be. She cooks, she cleans, she's nurturing, she's stern. She obviously cares about her family in just above and beyond ways. But that's all that we really get. And she she has her slip-ups, our Molly. Like we have the um, bit in Goblet of Fire where she fully believes everything that Rita Skeeter is saying about Hermione. Mm-hmm. But what Baby Boomer doesn't believe <laughs> The things that the tabloids say. Oh, uh, yes, unfortunately. Because <laughs> <laughs> you got to remember, Molly Weasley is a boomer. Yes. <laughs> um, God, I, I do, I do Please want... Please make that the title. <laughs> Molly Weasley is a boomer. <laughs> I, do, I do really wonder how much um, the generation's of our world really affect the wizarding world because like was there a baby boom after world war ii for wizards Uh, look i would think so like i don't even know how involved wizards were in the in the second world war because like we do have the understanding that they basically cut themselves off from the muggle world when they introduced the statute of secrecy and that's when their technology Mm -hmm. stopped developing and that's why they have quills and shit oh yeah the quills like come on guys we've already talked we've done it like twice (laughs) (laughs) um yeah, uh, look, there's a high chance that maybe not, which is why we see a very small percentage of students <coughs> going into Harry's year because there wouldn't have been the baby mm. boom. They they would, but after... Like Harry, Harry was born before the Wizarding World War baby boom, I would imagine. He would have to have been because he was kind of the reason why the war yes. ended. So um, the years following... Harry, there probably would have been a much more expanded um, population of the school. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. His his grades probably his grade and like the couple below him are probably the last like um, small grades. Uh, the ones the ones a bit above him, um, and maybe like Ginny's year, and then that would be when people just started just going to town yeah like we just survived a war let's uh celebrate by bumping uglies Mm. (laughs) Uh, um the wizarding world wouldn't have the same micro baby booms that uh we have when the power goes out it's true their power is always out yes (laughs) like therefore they're always having babies there was the um two years ago all my entire state lost power um, for at least twelve hours for the people who were the best off. 
Mm. And let me tell you, there were a lot of babies nine months later. (laughs) (laughs) Blackout babies. Yes. (laughs) And not the fun alcoholic kind. Yeah, so that that's that's something that won't affect them. It's just you know whenever whenever we overthrow a particularly bad um, wizard, that's that's when we have a baby room. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, I guess that the Grindelwald um, death would have probably coincided with the Second World War post that baby boom. Um. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. So, I mean, it's there's probably a similar sort of dynamic there. Yes. Mm. Um, I'm just trying to think of dates for that. But, yeah, that, that sounds about right. Mm. So, like, yeah, maybe they did have a bit of a baby boom then too. Yes. Um, but, yeah, so uh, Molly, generally pretty perfect mum. She does have that stage of being just real shitty to Fleur that we got into last time. But Yeah, poor Fleur. Mm. All she wanted to do was love her Bill. She's a very protective mother, whether that is in her kids' interests or not. Yeah, I feel like Molly Weasley was the type of mother that was just so protective that it kind of went too far. It was kind of like a no, you can't do this because I said so without ever giving a reason. Mm. And that can be a very bad thing in some cases. It can be a good thing, like her really not wanting Ginny to be in the Battle of Hogwarts. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, totally, that's a good thing. But that's a, that's a reasonable because I said so. Yeah, that's a, that's a very reasonable because I said so. You are um, 16, no. Yeah, you're a 16-year-old kid. Like, why would you even want to be in a war? It's scary <laughs> as hell, man. Mm. Any, any other thoughts on dear Molly? None other than she's just your classic archetype of a mother. Mm. She's nurturing, she's caring, she's providing. She's self-sacrificing. Um, yeah. And that's really it. She doesn't seem to have many witch friends her own age. But then again, she's not really a character that we would get that sort of vibe from. Well, I, I like to think that she has a book club. Yes, yeah. Um, but that's something that Harry would never notice. Yeah, exactly. Because we do have to remember we are taking all of this from the perspective of an adolescent boy. Mm. But, yeah, I do think that it would have been nice to, like, introduce a um, Molly has a quite close friend sort of dynamic. Like if we – it would have been very simple to make her and Mrs Diggory very good friends. Yes. Yeah, actually, because then we could have gotten um, um, Mrs Diggory, not just Amos Diggory, who is a pain in the ass. Yes, um, Mrs. Diggory is referenced in the book. She's not mentioned at all in the movies. Um, we do meet her briefly, but like it, it would have been really good for like these two witches who are close neighbors. Yeah, close enough that they could walk to each other's property. Mm. Which makes me wonder why Cedric wasn't closer friends with the twins. Yeah, that would that would have been really good. Instead, like, we just get the feeling that Cedric's a pompous ass. Mm, well, I don't even get the pompous. Like, he is just a very nice young man. Like, one of those people that are too nice. Yeah. 
I know a few people like that. <laughs> like, like you're just they're like, why are you so nice? Yeah, what's your deal? What's your what's your deal, dude? <laughs> Um, there's there's something that you're hiding yeah right yeah Mm. no so I mean yeah that's all the hot take that I have on Molly Weasley is that she's Mm. the quintessential mum I do know someone who really really dislikes Molly oh really yeah and his issue is that like she you know she can't she can't tell her twins apart which, you know, most people who know some identical twins, like if you know them well enough, like if you're their parent, you can you can pretty easily, you know, pick pick out which is which. There's like different things that are yeah. going on. And then I get that, but I also get she had like for that particular instance, she had like fifty thousand things on that trolley. She had six other kids to deal with. She was looking at Harry, she was looking for the thing. It's just kind of like that split second of maybe Fred had been standing there two seconds prior and then they Fred and George switched places and she wasn't paying attention because she's got 6,000 other things going on and it was just that slip. I don't even have a twin and I get called by my dog's name. Yeah, yeah, that's that was the next thing that I was going to say in regards to that. Like I have I have um, had my mum cycle through William, Greg, Zoe, Sophia. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah I got... Busby, Lace, Rogan, no, daughter, Kelly. I'm like, Busby, Lacey, and Rogan are the dogs, mum. <laughs> Zoe was the cat, by the way, <laughs> my childhood cat. Yep, there you go. You know how it feels. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, and then just um, a, a perceived neglect of Ron. Mm. But I don't – that doesn't really jive with me. Mm-mm. Like I can understand maybe thinking that – like take, taking the thing with the locket um, at its at its word, but like that's pulling into Ron's own insecurities, not any kind of truth. Yeah, no, it really is. I think Ron probably has a lot of insecurities because he's the youngest boy. He's not particularly athletic, and he's not particularly brainy. He's not particularly cool either. He's not, and he's not a troublemaker. And he's not a troublemaker. What well, he's a. He's a bit of a troublemaker, but not nearly in the way that Fred and George are. So I feel so. like Ron Weasley, just to deviate from the whole female thing there, is dealing with a lot of identity issues where he's not a Bill, he's not a Charlie, he's not a Percy, he's not a Fred and George, but who is he? Mm. Um, and I feel like making friends mm. with the chosen one was probably a blessing and a curse because he spends then his life in the shadow of his best friend. Yes, and all of his family wants to know about Harry and it's yeah. like, well, where's, where do I stand in this? I do sympathise for Ron. I do not believe that Ron and Hermione would have ended up together, but I do sympathise for Ron a lot. Yes, Ron is a good, good boy. I think that there are much fewer relationships that start as teenagers and progress into a long-term um, marriage than is presented in Harry Potter. Mm, mm. Yeah. I don't think Ron is it's entirely what Hermione probably would have ended up with, but, I mean, she could have done a lot worse too. Mm. But, uh, okay, so Molly Weasley covered. Yes. Um, I, I was really pleased with um, the thought that I had in regards to Narcissa Malfoy, if you don't mind us move, not moving on to her. Oh, yeah, no, another mother who we don't yes. see as the quintessential mother. That's because Narcissa Malfoy is a mob wife. Yes, she is. She's an Italian mob <laughs> wife, but English. Mm, like her whole like 
she's definitely required to represent her husband in a favorable light. Mm. Um in in and a good chunk of that is just looking good. <laughs> yes. Yes, a big chunk of that, but a big chunk of that I think behind the scenes would be her also subtly calling the shots with Lucius but making it mm, think like, like it's like she's his idea. Provide providing counsel yes. sort of thing. And then when he goes into prison, she has to um, pick up the slack of what, like everything that he's meant to be doing. Yes. Yeah. So yes, she's, she's in a very like off screen. She's probably in a very traditional parenting role. Um, take, taking care of, you know, little Draco. Yeah. I, <laughs> who needs to, who needs to be molded in the ways of his father. Draco doesn't strike me. And Narcissa doesn't strike me as the type uh, to have a nanny full time, mm. like he may have had one if his parents had to go away on business, that sort of thing. But I feel like Narcissa was more of a hands-on parent than some people give her credit for. Yes, I think that there would have been like a governess sort of situation, a tutor, but like there would still be a strong bond that formed between Draco and Narcissa, and that um, I think that bears out with him being able to reasonably use her wand. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense because you yeah, can just kind of pick up that wand and all is good. Mm. Yeah, so while my father will hear about this, um, also don't you say a fucking word about my mum. Yeah, I feel like um, the my father will hear about this. I feel like Lucius heard a lot of the, but father, Harry did this and I should be doing this and blah, blah, blah. And I feel like Narcissa heard the other side, which is, the good stuff. I feel like Draco probably confided in his mother about, oh, I made a friend today or I did this today and look, look at the grade that I got. Okay. So it's not as good as Hermione's, but I still got this grade. I feel like Mm. his mother probably had a bit of a softer influence, which is why I feel like his redemption arc could have been really, really well done because he had that little bit of self doubt in what they were doing and it was i feel like it was placed there by narcissa yes yes i think that too like she may be the mob wife but she is not the mob no and that that is the biggest distinction there narcissa married in she knew what she married into it may have gotten away from her but she protected that boy till the end of time like she married in but she was also born in like she would she would have been groomed to be this particular kind of wife. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, but yeah, I can I can also see Draco like expressing more of his insecurities to his mother as well. Like he's giving her the good news and all of that, but also like not feel. I, I imagine while he enjoys having like the bodyguard sort of situation of Crab and Goyle, they are not his intellectual equals. Mm, mm-hmm. And like he, he would not feel particular, like he, he would enjoy having them around, but like he would not feel like any kind of strong connection with them. Like he could with say a Blaze Sabini. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it would be, Mum, Mum, I made friends with Blaise Sabini and Mum, Cram and Goyle are so annoying. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I feel like it, yeah, as I said, I think Narcissa heard the good stuff that went on in Draco's life and Lucius just heard the, father, do you know what happened today? Yes. <laughs> you must do something about it, father. <laughs> um, and that could quite possibly be just to show that he's a big, tough Slytherin mm. who needs his daddy to do everything for him. <laughs> I mean, you, there's the big tough Slytherin part, and then there's the also the very shrewd. You you know you've got connections. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> mm. uh, but yeah, no, Narcissa Malfoy. I like her because she's not the quintessential mum. She's the mum that has to do what she does to survive. Yes. And yeah, she definitely is an Italian mob wife. Mm. Yeah, she's definitely she's in cahoots with some really bad stuff, but like she's also just trying to protect the family that she's got. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. I think Narcissa, out of all the females in the Harry Potter universe, I think Narcissa would be my favorite. She's definitely got the most potential for nuance. I think. Mm, mm-hmm. Which is, like, again, something that, I mean, we've had to infer a bunch of what we're saying here, but, like, the fact that there's so much to infer is really interesting. Yeah, the fact that we can take all these little differences and shades in the the expression and how she's portrayed and put together that, oh, Narcissa Malfoy is a mob wife. Mm. Um, is it's it says a lot about how her character was written. Yes, yes, it does. I'd really like um, to like pick J.K. Rowling's brain about who inspired Narcissa Malfoy as well. Yeah, because we know that she does take some characters from real life, mm. so I do wonder yeah. if she's got someone there. Yes. All right. Mm. Who is the next adult? Um, do we want to talk about Aunt Petunia? There's so much to say about her. Mm. Petunia, um, I, yeah. I, th- I think that the archetype that I thought fit her best is the PTA mom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, she's definitely a Karen. Yes. <laughs> she's that woman that you see walk into your retail store and you go, oh, for fuck's sake. She wants to speak to the manager. Uh-huh. Yeah. She she is the uh, yeah, she's the Karen who comes in and makes your day hell. But I also feel for her from the like little bits and pieces that we get of her story. She mm. was the older sibling, but Lily was very much the pretty and favored. Yes. Lily was special. Lily was the parents' favorite. Lily was pretty. Lily was kind. Lily was funny. Mm. Um, Petunia dated Vernon. Uh, and I, the names of the characters in the actual Shakespeare play are eluding me, so I'm going to make a reference to Ten Things I Hate About You. Yes, go for it. Oh, Taming <laughs> of the Shrew. Yes, Taming of the Shrew. Um, yeah. I can't remember. Like, I think I think they were just Katarina and Bianca. Yeah, I'm pretty um, sure they in were. The, in that. Um, but, yeah, uh, Petunia was Katarina and um, uh, 
Lily was Bianca. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, unfortunately ended up with Vernon. I'm sorry. Anyone out there whose name is Vernon, I really apologize. But what? Mm. If I I met a guy and he was like, my name is Vernon, I'd be like, no, thanks. (laughs) I thought for a moment there that I did have a relative called Vernon, but it's I've got a Verna. Not not a Vernon. But I've got a lot of um, Harry Potter names in the family. Like my grandma has a brother called Dudley and a brother called Errol. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, I mean, my mum also has has a... Um, Uncle Fred and an Auntie Wilma, so that's a whole other thing. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, well, I had an Uncle Bert and an Uncle Ernie. That's good. <laughs> they, were, they weren't brothers, though. They were married in. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who um, was married in out of the, um, the Fred and Wilma situation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I also have friends whose parents' names are Delma and Greg, like Dama oh, and Greg. Oh, wow. <laughs> but it's Delma. <laughs> I love them. They're so great. They're such They're such great couple. They're so awesome. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think that Petunia's life could have been very different if she married a nicer man. <laughs> mm, I think mm. so. I think she, it could have been way nicer if she'd not married Bigot. Yes, and, like, obviously she responded very badly to not being a witch. It's like she developed this hatred to protect herself. I think so. Mm. I think it was probably a little bit of jealousy there too. Oh, like, one, I'm the oldest, why didn't I get those powers? Yeah, 100% it's jealousy that's in there. And, like, you know, I mean, she wrote that letter to ask if she could go to Hogwarts and that's just very, like, it's very sweet that she wanted to go with Lily and it's so heartbreaking. Mm. It's so, so heartbreaking. Like, it's so sad that she des- so desperately wanted to go. We feel you, Petunia. Like, we, we understand. Yeah, Petunia is all of us if we just became bitter. Yeah. It's, I like Petunia. I don't necessarily like her behaviours, but I am under the impression and the of the idea that the longer Petunia and Dursley and Vernon were around Harry, the worse the effects of him being a Horcrux were. Mm. Um, I, so I would really like to hope that as an infant child they loved him as they should and then it wasn't until he got older and the effects of him uh, legitimately being a Horcrux um, became more apparent that like we see with Ron and the locket. Was it the locket? Yeah. Yes. They end up getting horrible over time. Mm. Um, I also think that um, so there was something that J.K. Rowling said that she had intended for in the epilogue Dudley to be there with his one of his children mm. being sent off to Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that that would 
end Petunia and Vernon's marriage because Petunia would be like, oh, 100% I'm down with this now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like this is this is a child of her own body that gets to do what she always wanted to do and that and Vernon would not be able to yeah. cope. Yeah. No, I I yeah, I think that's what JK was going for with that as well. Mm. I, I'm starting to see a pattern of uh JK Rowling's older female characters are flawed in some way but also redeemable. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I think that's at least the ones that have children yes. <laughs> because we, we're going to soon go down a path of um, the other ones, uh, which I have named the childless scolds, mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which are exemplified in Rita Skeeter and Aunt Marge. Oh, and also um, uh, Umbridge. Oh, mm-hmm. yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, yeah. for all the married happily with children – older ladies that we've got in the pot of us we've also got this group of bitter unmarried cruel hags yes yeah. <laughs> and like they, they they come in different forms but they are ultimately united in the fact that they are all just women without children and like I mean, most of the time that we know Tonks, she's not got mm, a child, mm-hmm. but she she is going to have a child, so she's all right. Yeah, it's about the only one who's older and doesn't have children who is a motherly figure is McGonagall, and she inadvertently has many, many children. Hmm. And I, I guess that, um, I mean... Bellatrix Lestrange also fits into this, like, has no children is the fucking mm. worst. Yeah. Bellatrix is a funny one because everybody seems to love her, yet she is a very bad person. Hmm. I mean, she definitely, she gets even less nuance than... Voldemort is allowed to have and the sim- this similar thing happens with um Elmbridge like we spend so long explaining Voldemort and we take absolutely no time to think hey why are these women like this yeah <laughs> yeah I lost what I was gonna say motherfucker really uh, something about the uh, people liking Bellatrix. Yeah, it was something along those lines. And as I opened my mouth to like, <gasps> it disappeared. Are you kidding me? Oh, anyway, no. yeah, I just, I like Bellatrix aesthetically, but I don't quite get the whole love of her. She's kind of like the female. Yeah the female Snape in a way where she does some horrible, horrible things, but there's, there's always an apologist for her. I mean, I've, I've seen much less apologism for Bellatrix than you have. I think maybe that's more in the fan fiction territory. 
Maybe. It also could just be the, like, group of people I'm in. I have a couple of friends who just absolutely love her. And I'm like, yeah, aesthetically, she's really cool and she's the crazy bitch and stuff, but she's also horrible. Just briefly talking about aesthetics yeah. for, for Bellatrix. Um, so, like, you don't get people's clothes when you polyjuice potion. <laughs> Um, so the, the thing that I just want to point out is that the dress that Hermione wears in, um, Deathly Hallows when she's impersonating Bellatrix, that must have come out of Fleur Delacour's uh, wardrobe. Oh my God. (laughs) Yes. Uh. Okay. So like what, what I'm basically saying is that like, um, yeah, she def- Flo definitely has some kind of gothy evening dress with a boob window. And <laughs> good for her. <laughs> I love it. It's great. Yeah, because where else would they have got that dress from? Hmm. Like, I guess they could have enchanted something else, but that doesn't seem to... But it, it remains after the thieves' downfall. Oh yeah, which 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 removes all enchantments. So it's definitely something that was really just looked like that. Go Fleur! She must have had a rebellious phase. Yeah, <laughs> this is the dress that Molly can never see. Yeah, don't tell Molly where you got it. Um, yeah. So Bellatrix, yeah, it's um, she's a problematic character in the sense that. She's crazy and mean. And she's and she's a fascist. But looks hella cool. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's it's much like I mean, so many villains have the best style. They do, they really do. Cause like Loki in that three-piece suit. So good. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Terrible, terrible, yep. terrible character. But hate him, love his looks. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> Um, but yeah, to, uh, get, get to more of the childless scold sort of archetype, mm-hmm. Aunt Marge just, not only, not only is she a woman with no children and no husband, she is a woman with multiple animals instead. <laughs> yeah. See, funny thing is, so backstory here, I grew up around a dog show ring. I grew up in somewhat a breeding household, but we didn't really have many litters. Mum had one and then decided it was too much work. But I grew up showing dogs, obedience trials, agility, things like that. So I've grown up at one point, I think the most amount of dogs we had was like eight, which was hectic. That's a lot it of dogs. A, we had a big property. Like we had a lot of space for them, but it was that. that. I'm, I'm just. And they were golden retrievers. They weren't, they weren't small dogs. They were golden retrievers. <laughs> I'm picturing you um, in as that picture of Daniel Radcliffe with the belt of dog leads, yes. um, just just smoking a cigarette and having a yeah, walk. Look, uh, <laughs> minus the cigarette, I did at one point have a lead because um, it's just a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so I know several older ladies who are very, very like Aunt Marge. Oh, wonderful! And there was one. There was one lady in particular that when I was reading the book for the first time, I was just like, holy shit, that is such and such. And and she was just this lady that every time I saw her, she'd stand up straight. What are you wearing? Oh, you're showing too much leg. Oh, you're doing this. What are you doing with your life now? 
I was like 10. (laughs) (laughs) How's school going? Are you still failing? No, no, no. And I'm like, you're not my mom. But yeah, she reminded me so much of Aunt Marge that I was just kind of like, yep, nope, I know people like that that exist. Mm -hmm. They have like 10 dogs, but one of them is the favorite dog. That's the dog that she takes on holiday. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. So I, yeah, Aunt Marge exists in the real world. She is definitely based off of someone Mm. that J.K. Rowling knew (laughs) or saw. Because oh. that woman exists, unfortunately. I mean, my, my um, like, this woman only had, uh, these women only had one dog each. Um, they had, they each had a Shih Tzu and they were like my mum's best friends when I was a kid and their nickname mm. for me was Horrible Child. Oh, holy shit. And, like, I'm sure that I internalised this in some way, but, like, I don't feel – I didn't ever feel particularly bad about being called Horrible Child all the time. But like, <laughs> it's just one of those things where it's, like, there's a particular kind of dog lady. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was – I mean, growing up, I was stinky. It's like, thanks. Oh, don't know where that came from. <laughs> like, from this woman or <laughs> – um, yeah, uh, no, not necessarily from this woman. Just like my mom and people, my friend, like friends of my mom's, they just used to call me Stinky. And oh, okay. I, I never questioned it because that's what they always called me until I got to about seventeen, and I was like, "Mom, why, why do they call me Stinky?" And she's like, "I don't know. Hey, I just, I think I said it one day, and it stuck." <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, even now, Mum, I like I'll call Mum and I'll, she'll pick up the phone with, "Hey, stinks, how you going?" I'm like, "Thanks, Mum." <laughs> There's no story there. It's just literally what my mum called me. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, over the um the one one of the women who um with the with the shih tzu she had. I, I hated going to her house because she never had anything good in the pantry. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, when you when you're a ki- when you're a kid, it's like you know. Um, the the value of your parents' friends is whether or not they have treats for you. Yeah, and absolutely. Rather than, rather than ever having treats for me, she had a dish of dog chocolates on the co- oh. coffee table. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, no. So there was the illusion of something yummy for me and, it, and, and I knew that I wasn't allowed to have it because it was somehow for the dog. <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually kind of fantastic. Though. I know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was Sharon. Of course, she was a Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when it's just the name perfectly fits the crime. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, do we want to talk at all about Rita Skeeter? Oh, Rita Skeeter. I. Uh, She's just an exaggerated version of the uh, evil journalist. Yeah, she is. Um, she's also you, you don't remember it because the because um, what's her name? Um, Miranda is it Miranda Richardson? Yes, yeah, yes. Her her performance as Rita Skeeter is so iconic. But like, there's a good degree of fat shaming in the book for Rita Skeeter. Yes, there is. I do remember that. Like she's got sausage fingers and like just gets just re- 
constantly described in really unflattering physical ways. Yes. And so that that's a whole other thing. Like all of, all of these all of these bad women are fat. <laughs> and like the, Molly Weasley is described in terms of being, you know, plump, which is rather innocuous and you kind of get the idea that she's like soft in that mother motherly pillowy way. Yeah, like she's popped out how many babies? Yeah, she, she's she's been pregnant six times. This happens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yes, mm. no. And the, and then you get the characters who are fat because it's a moral failing on their part. Yeah, there is a big distinction with uh, the uh, exception of Petunia. All of the like perceivably bad older female characters are in some way unflatteringly large yeah you get bellatrix and petunia who are like thin like kind of described as being like unnaturally thin yeah but not in like a good way thin like they're like bony and wiry Mm. and um yeah like petunia petunia is probably on 12 crash diet so that the neighbors don't talk about her Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She's all about appearances. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so it's but yeah. it's a downfall and I really hate it when writers make the ugly character physically large and horrible. It just kind of I personally don't believe they need to describe a body type for an, an evil character. Um, mm. I am very conscious when I'm writing to not describe body types at all further than she was tall or short or medium size, like height. Um, or in the case of like if they've got something like unusually long arms, which is a character that comes back to them. Like, for example, I've got a character that's wingspan is longer than his height and this is noticed because he can reach for things easily okay Um, I just I don't feel the need in literature to describe weight um and I guess Mm -hmm. that could have come from the fact that I've struggled with poor body image and dysmorphic uh tendencies and eating disorders from the time I was a small child um but I just it yeah it really does grind my teeth when you see bad female particularly female characters as being not flatteringly large. Um, mm. I, I don't have the same issue with um, personally describing weight in my stories. I just want to make sure that I'm not putting any kind of moral judgment yeah. in there. Like, um, I mean, I've got a lot of room to play around with body types in the world that I'm writing at mm. the moment. Um because like you've got the dwarves who are generally pretty sturdy in their build. Yeah. Like you're you're not going to get like a willowy thin dwarf. That's just not how they work. So but yeah, and like just just, you know, this this character this character is on the like quite broad and round because that's just that's just the fact of it and that's not not a good thing or a bad thing. Mm. Um the real thing I've got to think about is whether or not I want to make it that elves 
can become fat. Yes. Because it's not really something that you really envision. And I don't know if I want to. I don't know. I think of like the Hobbits out of the Hobbit movie. They were mm. they were all short and stocky, but there were really big ones. I think it's Bofa is the really yeah. big one that always eats. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's it's a little disappointing. Mm. Um, but I guess. It's probably not something J.K. Rowling's very conscious of when writing because not many people are, I guess. Yeah, and, like, I really dislike when people throw around the quote from her about how um, why is the worst thing that you can be fat, why not cruel, etc., etc., etc. I can't remember what the specific quote is. And oh, I know the one talk- that you're talking about, yeah. Her talking about how she feels um, really disheartened that her daughters will be for, judged by their size and not by the content of their character. And all I can think is, well, you did this. Yeah, all, all of you your... You filled my childhood with this. Yeah, all of your bad, bad characters, I mean older characters aside from the male and two of the females are, are bigger. Mm. And there's, I always get back to the way that it's described because, you know, we've got the nurturing, you know, just, just lovely pillowy mother, um, in Molly and you've got the joyous, um, like she's, it's an exercise in thrilling grotesquerie to describe Dudley. Yeah. And his his seven chins and the chairs creaking beneath his weight and the fact that he I believe that it's the fourth book where he's described as being the the weight of a baby killer whale. Oh yeah, it is. Um, and that's when he's been put on a diet because he no longer fits into the clothes at his fancy school. Mm. Um, yes. Yeah. And then you've got. Neville, who is, his weight is described a fair bit in the first couple of books, but then when he becomes useful, we stop doing that. Yes. Yeah. It's. And that that's kind of um, exacerbated by the fact that um, Matt Lewis, who played Neville Longbottom, just had a tremendous glow up. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that for him. Yeah. <laughs> Like I, I believe I can't remember if it was the second or third movie where they had. I think it was the second because I don't think he was um, particularly chubby in the third movie. But um, for the second movie, he had already started to have his growth spurt, so they had to put him in a fat suit. Yeah, I look. I don't think uh, I can't remember the actor's name. I don't think he was ever particularly large. I think it was just all baby fat. Yeah, he, it's it's the same. Um, like small child roundness that occurs right before a growth spurt. Like they, they're building it up, building it up, building it up, building it up, and then they stretch it basically. Yeah, you can generally tell when a kid is going to suddenly shoot up real tall because they get mm. kind of doughy first. Yes. And then suddenly they're six foot two and you're like, the fuck did you come from? <laughs> I'm talking about my brother here. Yeah, that is, that is roughly – yeah, my brother had a similar sort of um, situation and it's why he never ended up particularly lanky 
Because, like, a lot of kids, if they don't have that little doughy phase, they just, like, end up all elbows and knees and it's just like, oh, this didn't work out very well for you, did it, mate? Yeah. No. It's the ones that the, – it's the tall guys that are very broad and, like, thick, not not in an overweight kind of way, but there's muscle and thickness to them that were the chubby kids. Yeah, yeah. You've seen pictures of I my have, brother yeah, um, these days. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. He he's he never had the lanky stage because he was like just just a chubby little kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was also he. I don't think he ever had a particular point of growth spurt either. Like he just was solidly growing faster than everyone else from the very beginning. Yes. Yeah. But yes. Uh, I I have um. One more category that I sort of came up with for um, our adult female characters, and I'm going to call that the spinster weirdos. Okay, yes. <laughs> and my my big ones for that are Mrs. Fig and yep. Professor Trelawney. <laughs> yes, yep. <laughs> and, like, Mrs. Fig is fairly benign, like, in this cat lady persona that she gets, like... She's, she specifically made her house kind of unpleasant for Harry to visit, much like Sharon, my mom's friend. <laughs> but, like, she, she, was, she was doing that specifically so that the Dursleys would continue to let her babysit. Okay. Because, like, she mentioned, she mentions that at one point. It's like she knew that if they thought that Harry was having a good time there, she knew that he wouldn't be allowed to come back. Yes. Mm. So, like, she, she's, you know, once we, she's kind of a joke in the first couple of books and then you find out, oh, wait, she's a squib and she's, like, in with Dumbledore and all of this stuff and she becomes more of a, like, pleasantly ridiculous character. Yeah, she suddenly, she suddenly has a reason for being so weird. Mm. And like, like there's uh, suddenly a reason for the eccentricity. Including the cats because she has a um, nasal cat um, hybrid um, kitten farm coming out of her that's, house. That's right. Yeah, I remember now. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think people need a reason for other people's weirdness. Yes. If that makes sense. So when you see that kind of eccentric 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 when you see that eccentric older spinster like Trelawley and um fig Mm. you need a reason for it so suddenly fig goes from being the weird neighbor to oh she's like helping the story she's helping harry um and Trelawley goes from being the weird divination teacher who we don't actually know if she's telling the truth or not to she's the one who made the prophecy, they suddenly have a reason. Mm. Although she still doesn't so. get as nearly as humanised as Mrs Fig. In fact, we she's like a deeply sad character in a lot of ways. Like the, the And her alcoholism is kind of played for a joke. Was she an alcoholic? Yes. Oh, there's, there's, um, she hides all of, she hides all of her sherry bottles in the room of requirement. Oh, I, like, um, like empty sherry bottles. <laughs> I never took much notice of that. Mm. And like when, when, um, when Umbridge kicks her out, she is extremely drunk. Oh, 
I never read it that way. Oh, I'm so naive. <laughs> I mean, it's it's been a it's been a while since since you reread these books, isn't it? So. Yeah, it's been a little while. Mm. I mean, it's like this. This is um much much more innocent because I was four. Um, the movie Annie, mm. um the the original one with Carol Burnett and um Tim Allen, uh, not Tim Allen. That's that's the worst version of Tim. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tim Curry, yes, and um, Bernadette Peters. Um, when I was four, I didn't understand that. Um. Miss Hannigan was drinking a ton of gin all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, like, part of it is because she's keeping this gin in, like, vases around the orphanage so that she can ha- sneak a drink out of, like, <laughs> out of, like, a dish of flowers. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the fact that it's also in her bathtub, like, four-year-olds don't know about bathtub gin. No, <laughs> they don't know about prohibition in the 1930s. So it's, like, the fact that it's also, like, in her, like, she's, Got, she's pouring it into her bathtub to make more, obviously, <laughs> as like kind of a starter. Yeah. <laughs> and and I'm just like, okay, she drinks a lot of water and she's kind of weird. Yeah, because gin <laughs> like, does look like water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a perfectly clear liquid. <laughs> so, yeah, much much like, um, you know, me, me watching that as a kid, like not understanding that at all. Plus, my mum had gin, but it came in the. It was like Bombay Sapphire. Oh yes, it's in the. So blue it came bottle. in a blue bottle. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, much like that. Like if you're if you're um, if you're like in your early teenage years and reading um, the fairly oblique references to Trelawney having a serious drinking problem, like you're not gonna um, pick that up. <laughs> no. Yep. I never. I never picked it up. Oops. Mm. Well then. And I think that goes into like the ancient Greek oracle sort of situation. Mm. Like, I mean, she's named after an ancient Greek oracle. But like. Yeah, what's her first name? Sybil. Oh, Sybil. That's right. Mm. So, yeah, she, she like the oracles of ancient Greece were like constantly off their tits. And that, that's why they were making prophecies because it's like they were just rambling off all of this stuff and people are like, huh, huh, okay, yeah, 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 this makes sense. This is definitely a message from the gods and not like this person is just on a serious trip. Yeah, they're just high <laughs> as balls. Yeah. Or drunk as fuck. <laughs> so I think that, um, yeah, I do think that that's like definitely an influence in this character being an alcoholic but it's like definitely not treated with like any of the seriousness that it requires especially since like you know people like a younger reader wouldn't even notice that she's you know her her having like the sound of clinking bottles following her around well then the more you know i am gonna have to reread these books (laughs) oh but yeah, um, spinster weirdos is definitely that weird yeah, character archetype, which is definitely. I mean, the spinster weirdos are like the the witches of old, aren't they? Pretty much. Like, like if you if you were without the protection of a man, and you were a little bit odd, that's the one that they're gonna tell. They're gonna be like, she's a witch. Can we burn her? <laughs> Only if she floats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if she weighs the same as a duck, that means she's a, a witch. witch. 
Monty Python is a genuine treasure and we like I mean most most of the Python guys, I think the ones that are living, I think only one of them has died. They're gen- generally pretty good. Like there's Terry Gillum who's turned into an absolute like horrible person and like John Cleese recently um, yeah. said that like he doesn't recognise London anymore or something like that because it's like not white anymore as if like the 60s had a very white London, which it absolutely <laughs> it really, did it, not. Maybe in the London that he <laughs> lived in. Mm, yes, I'm going to say um, Kensington yeah. Park, <laughs> where the, where the where the only where the only brown was one Mr. Freddie Mercury. Yeah, and even then, people forget he was brown. Yeah, people forget that he was Indian. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> Freddie Mercury became too rich to be considered ethnic by upper class in- English people is is the basic thing that happened there. Yeah, money will money will turn anyone white. Mm. Oh, people, what a bunch uh, of bastards. Yep. But yes. Okay. My sister went to see Dylan Moran the other night. Oh, God, I love him. <laughs> Just so dry. That's not a Dylan Moran quote, actually, is it? No, that's, no, that's Chris uh, O'Dowd. The IT crowd. Yeah, the IT crowd. Yeah, it's I, the I, other I, Irish it's, comedian. It sounds like a black books reference it does no it really does um it's the other irish actor mm. who is popular on uk tv shows yes the the, the one who actually made it in america yes uh, he went on a date with jane foster <laughs> and um was in bridesmaids that's right yeah he was too i recently rewatched bridesmaids and fuck i hated his character i just hate that whole movie <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't mind the movie, but like the premise that she has to apologize for all of the things that she did, like aside from her big meltdown that she had at the bridal shower. I like she she never did anything wrong in that movie aside from like wrecking that cookie. <laughs> I don't I don't really like P- Melissa McCarthy in some stuff when she's just like over the top. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't, I don't find her funny. Yeah. She was pretty great in Charlie's Angels. In the new one? No, 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 no. Um, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. She was the secretary lady at oh, the... Man. Yeah, that's her. Yeah, I totally <laughs> forgot she was in that. Oh, yeah. Just... Huh. Like, she's, it's, it's such a small role, but it's fantastic. <laughs> yes. Okay, I'm going to have to watch that again. I'm going to see the mm. new one soon. Yeah, I, I've got to see the new one. Like, the Mary Sue has been, like, complaining about it constantly. Oh. And I'm like, but it actually looks really enjoyable. The Mary Sue complains about everything. I take everything they say with that a grain That is true. Like, there's uh, the recent one about um, Zombieland um, Double Tap. Oh, the, the <laughs> dumb blonde trope? Yes. Yeah, I, I don't, did you see that movie? I haven't seen it yet. No, we're going to go see it on the weekend. Okay, okay. Tell, like, tell me how much you love the character that they're talking about. I feel about like I'm because going she's to. Great. Like, uh, there's a, like, her name is Madison, and it's totally unclear if she's from Wisconsin or if she's like just gen- genuinely called Madison. <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah. What was I going to say? 
Yeah, no. But on the Mary Sue, like I've been scrolling through Facebook and I have seen one heading for something and then one heading completely against it. I'm like, will you make up your damn mind? I mean, it's fair that they'll do that because they have different writers and all of that. Like, I don't, re- I don't expect them to have a no. homogenous opinion across the, all of the writers. But um, it's just like sometimes it's just like you're really nitpicking here, and like just, yeah. just you're like you're reaching, you're reaching further than you should. Like the let people enjoy things meme got very old very quickly because it was used to defend a lot of toxic stuff. But in some cases, just let people enjoy things. Yeah, please let me enjoy the dumb blonde trope because I too am the dumb blonde trope. <laughs> like, and, and like this, she may be a dumb blonde, but she is a dumb blonde that survived for ten years on her own in the zombie apocalypse. So, like, clearly, she's more powerful than all of us. <laughs> yes, if, apparently. Yeah, she's she's but, Elle Woods. Yeah. <laughs> I love Elle Woods. Um, Okay, so have we covered everything? I mean, I don't think we're ever going to cover everything, but those are the um, characters that I sort of thought thought to shine a light on there. Yep. Okay, yep. cool. We've had um, well. Molly Weasley, Narcissa Malfoy, Professor McGonagall, Aunt, mm-hmm. Ma- um, Aunt Petunia and Aunt Marge and Rita Skeeter, Mrs Fig and Trelawney. And, like, we, we put a little bit more Tonks in there because who doesn't love a bit of Tonks? But, yeah, that's – is that everyone that we can think of to talk about on this one? Um, yeah, that's that's who all I, like, sprang to mind for me. Mm, th- I mean, there's, like, plenty of characters who are just much more minor and, like, we could talk about them but then we'd be here forever. Like, we could I, – I love um, Professor Sprout. Professor Sprout, the victim of nominative determinism. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, um, but like that's at, in the end, like we barely know her to be perfectly honest. It's true. All right. Well, we better sign off cause I've got to go and catch my train to get into supernova. Yes. You have stuff to do. So we will yes. call. <laughs> no, that's all right. Okay. Well, that has been the latest episode of Potter Nonsense. I am Ray. And I'm Fee. And you can find me at ravendorcom on Twitter and we also have the Facebook group, which is Potter Nonsense yep. Podcast. You can just find that and answer the questions so that we know you're not a robot. Yeah, that's uh, – look, I do have Twitter. I use it very sporadically and it's usually to talk about my Dungeons & Dragons group, uh, but it's at Ray is a writer, R-A-E is a writer. Otherwise, I'm on the Facebook group uh, and – uh we will see you next time yes rate review and subscribe and mischief managed mischief managed hi everyone it's v i'm just popping in because ray did have to run off pretty quickly i wanted to add that we are still hoping to hear from you guys with ideas for future episodes and uh if we don't get any of those it might be that this is the last season of potter nonsense and ray and i will have to look into doing something else uh that might be a supernatural related podcast we aren't 100 sure yet but that's something that <laughs> super, the tv show supernatural is definitely something that we have had a lot of discourse on <laughs> over the over the years so it's definitely something that we would be able to have a podcast with longevity about so um 
if Potter Nonsense is not long for this world, um, we've really enjoyed it with you. And, and we hope that a lot of you would follow us along, whether you've seen Supernatural or not. It's, it's the first five seasons, at least, are worth watching. <laughs> so we hope we hear from you, but um, if we don't, it's kind of going to be the end of the show. I don't like to say that, but it is. So thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy what episodes we continue to have. Potter Nonsense is a production of Bronze Pig Media and is recorded in Queensland and South Australia. If you liked the show, please rate, review and subscribe so that others can find us. You can contact us on Twitter at Bronze Pig Media or by email at bronzepigmedia at gmail.com. Bronze Pig Media. Oink!